It's good to see you all this morning. I want to welcome you to Union Baptist Church. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 28, and we'll, uh, we'll have our call to worship from Psalm chapter 28. But I do want to welcome you. If you're a visitor, we want to thank you for being here with us. Um, you know, we believe that uh, knowing God and having a relationship with Him is, is important. It's the most important thing. And so we we want to invite you into that this morning. We, we ask that if you, if you know Christ, that you would consider making this a place where you worship. But if you don't know Christ, that you, would, uh, that you would come and talk to us and let us explain the way of knowing, knowing Christ more, more clearly to you. That's, a, that's what we want from you, for you. Uh, and, and some of us have experienced that, and it's been a joy to our hearts. It's changed our lives, and, and that's what we're about here. So... One way that we can get to know you uh, and understand kind of where you're at and what your needs are would be this Connect card here. And so if you are a visitor, even if you've been here a few times, but maybe you've never filled out the card, uh, we would invite you to get one from our greeter or out there on the table in the uh, entryway. It's just simply to get your phone number and email address and just have a way to contact you. And you can mark off at the bottom if you prefer to be called, texted, or emailed. And that'll just open a a way of communication so that we don't uh, overlook you. We don't want to let people come and go without being connected and, and make contact. So please get one of those, and uh, you can turn that in in the offering time in the plate, or you can hand it back to one of the pastors or give it to the greeter that you got it from. Just make sure that you close the loop on that if you fill it out so that we can, so we can get that information. So again, Psalm chapter 28, we're going to read uh, th- this chapter, and we're going to see that we serve a big God. It's a psalm of David. He says, To you, O Lord, I call. My rock be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward, because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the works of his hands. He will tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exults with my song. I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. O save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, as we gather here this morning, we we thank you for your grace. We thank you for who you are. God, we're thankful that you are big and awesome and mighty. We're thankful, God, that you hear your people every time that we pray. We cry and plead and pray to you and petition you, God. You hear us. And we rejoice knowing that what John says is that if, you, if you've heard us, God, we know that we have what we've asked. God, we, we thank you for these truths. And we ask, God, that you would be with us this morning. We're aware of our need, O oh God, as we come in here. God, we're aware of our weakness. Some of us are, are sick. Some of us are recovering from uh, surgeries or procedures. Some of us are worried about loved ones and, and things to come uh, with, with tomorrow. God, some of us are, are dealing with ongoing chronic illness. And so, Lord, uh, we, we pray to you for rescue. 
because we know that, that that's what you do. And you're, this psalm teaches us that, God. And what we looked at even in Sunday school uh, reaffirms that theme that you're a God who rescues his people. But Lord, we also recognize that our biggest enemy is not the physical ailments that we have, but our, it's the things that happen in the spirit. And so we ask this morning, God, that you would guard us from pride and from arrogance and from sinfulness. We pray that you would expose sin that's in our hearts, O oh Lord, that you would help us to see the, the weakness of our faith, that you would help us, God, to recognize that we're distracted and turn our minds and our hearts back to you in this moment, God. We pray that as the songs are sung, it wouldn't just be the activity that the church goes through, but that it would be worship coming from hearts of people who love their God, people who have been redeemed and rescued and saved from various trials and distresses, people in distress right now who are seeing the help of God to, to, to pick up and, and walk every day through the pain, every day through the heartache, every day through the distress, God. We pray that, that you would elicit praise from our lips, God, praise from our hearts as we see a God who is with us, a God who is sovereign over our circumstances, a God who allows every bit of suffering and evil that comes to us in through that umbrella of protection precisely to glorify your name and to do good to your people. And so, God, we rejoice that there is, that, that there is growth in our faith because of trials. We don't enjoy the trials, but, God, we enjoy the fruit that you bear in our lives through the trials. And so we pray that you would rescue us in whatever way seems fitting, Lord, to your purposes. But we also ask, God, that in the midst of all that we face, that you would help our faith to flourish, that you would strengthen us and root us and ground us in your love and mercy and kindness. And God, that we would praise and honor and glorify you with hearts that are freed from sin to do that very thing. God, you are glorious, you are great, you are good, and our praise ought to reflect that. So help us this morning as we sing to reflect the greatness and the glory of God and to sing and to worship and to give and to listen and obey in a way that reflects those great realities. God, we love you. We love your people. And we just pray your blessings upon us, God. In Christ's name, amen. A couple of things as they're coming. One, just uh, want to point out that we do have an insert in the bulletin uh, regarding our budget. We're going to try to do that each month after we have our business meeting uh, so that all can kind of see what's going on there. Uh, and then just secondly, want to remind you to be praying for uh, Carolyn and Barry Corder, who are going to the country of Georgia. They're our uh, missionaries that we are praying for this month. So let's pray uh, that God would help them, enable them to have the funds to, to go, uh, and then just would help throughout that process of, of making it over there. So let's pray this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we, we come to you and we are reminded of your holiness of your goodness, Lord, there, there is no end to the praise that we could give you for all that you are and all that you do. Lord, even as we just reflect on your goodness and your kindness in, in our own lives, your, your patience, your, your mercifulness, your forgiveness uh, toward each one of us as individuals, Lord, we, we, we could spend hours and days and weeks here recounting all that you've done in our lives. And, and yet, Lord, so often we're, we're short-sighted of that. We, we forget those things. Lord, help us to be mindful of your goodness in our lives. God, we want to pray for your goodness to be displayed in the lives of Barry and Carolyn Corder, Lord. Uh, they are still have not yet met their, their funding needs for uh, uh, 
their, their monthly goal to go to the country of Georgia. And we just want to pray, Lord, right now that you would provide, even in a supernatural or an unexpected way, Lord, that you would provide uh, for them to be able to uh, reach that goal very soon. God, we know that you're able to do it. And, and we ask in faith, believing that, that you will provide for them. Uh, God, help them to trust you as they prepare. Help them to, to move forward with a, a resolute faith. And God, as they get there, uh, we, we pray uh, that you would help them to stand strong. We, we pray that you would help them to have an effective ministry uh, in Georgia. God, bless us now as we continue to worship you, as we give. May we do so uh, with cheerful hearts. And we pray it in the name of Christ. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And our children can head out at this time with Miss Julie. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 19. We're continuing our series. We're going to do a short series on, on giving and on our sort of a Christian view of, of material things, of, of finances. And uh, so Ephesians, or Matthew rather, chapter 6 uh, verse number 19, and it says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth <clears throat> where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor, moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're going to talk this morning about what some have heard, have uh, termed the, the treasure principle. Uh, I'm getting that title uh, from a book by Randy Alcorn, which I'd actually recommend as, as something that's sort of influenced me, and uh, I think it would be helpful for you to read it as well. It's a short book. It's called The Treasure Principle, and again, it's Randy Alcorn uh, is the author's name. Uh, I, I read that uh, much of that this week. And was encouraged again, but these are really truths. What I'm sharing with you are truths that I've been taught since I was a child. And I think there are things that have impacted my life. And I, I hope they are an encouragement uh, to you as well. I just want to begin this morning with a little bit of maybe trying to get you to rethink the, the Christian life. Uh, sometimes I, I'm afraid that for many of us, we kind of had a, a wrong view of God and a wrong view of of Christianity, uh, you know, what's interesting, and I've talked with people about different, different topics that we might talk about, and sometimes there's a slowness to understand what the Bible really teaches because people have been so ingrained with a certain way of thinking, and, and often that way of thinking is actually not a biblical way of thinking, and, and sometimes what happens then when we open up the Bible uh, we assume that our, our thinking about it has been shaped by the Bible. And so we read it and we sometimes even really just miss what's right in front of our face. We, we miss what is obvious because we've got a certain way of, of thinking. And, and it's amazing to me sometimes to, to see how people will do that. You'll read that and you'll say, now what does that say? And, and people will say something completely different because their mind has been trained or programmed so much so that they simply... Uh, don't see what's obvious in, in the text. And sometimes I think uh, we have been taught something, and, and that is this. I think, I think we've got sort of a distorted view of God and Christianity. We've, we've been taught that we must be totally selfless. That's what God expects of us, that we would be totally selfless, and that really any desire for good things for ourselves 
is somehow selfish or wrong. So if I want something good for myself, then that's a, a sinful kind of, of desire. There's sort of a way of viewing God that assumes he would never approve of you seeking good for yourself. This concept of God and, and the Christian life says that you obey God strictly because God is God and he, what he commands is, is right and for no other reason. There may be no joy in it. You, you obey whether, whether you find joy in it or not. There may be no delight in doing right. And we should never concern ourselves with any benefit that we might receive for doing the good that God requires of us. This is kind of what I've heard referred to before as sort of the John Wayne view of Christianity. It's like, well, this isn't fun. This isn't good. There's no joy in it, but you just kind of grit your teeth and bear it, and you do what you're supposed to do no matter what you feel about it, no matter uh, no matter whether there's any benefit to you or not. You just do it. It, it tends to view the Christian life as a as a joyless thing. Who cares what you feel? Just obey. And there's a sense, there's, there's an element of truth to that. Like we don't always wait for our feelings uh, in, in order to uh, obey God. And at the same time, I think there ought to be joy in the Christian life. And I think that what Jesus teaches us is that there's actually benefit to us when we do obey God. The problem with that, what I've just described to you, is two things. Number one, that kind of mindset is, is really impossible or impossibly difficult to maintain for very long. Like, I don't see any benefit in this. There's no joy in doing this, but I'm just going to do it because it's right. It's what I'm supposed to do. You, you try to maintain that for very long, and the reality is it's just going to be very, very difficult to keep doing things, keep obeying, although you're not seeing any benefit in it. And secondly... And sort of a fatal flaw, uh, just a minor problem, is that that way of thinking isn't biblical at all. It's not a biblical way to think. One person who has really tried to poke at this problem in, in the way that we think is John Piper. In fact, John Piper has come up with a, a statement. He's written, he's spoken a lot about this. And, and sort of his thesis is this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So, so in other words, what Piper is saying there is that these two things are not, they're not opposite goals. Well, I can either glorify God or I can be satisfied. I can't do both. God's God. I want to do what's right. So I guess I've got to obey God, but that means I'm not going to be satisfied. I'm not going to find joy and there's no benefit to me, but I'll, I'll serve God because he deserves the glory. And, and Piper's saying, hey, we're, we're bifurcating. We're, we're separating these things in an illegitimate way. We should not separate the two things. Our joy, our satisfaction, our delight is actually found in glorifying God. So, so they're not two separate goals, but they, they are actually the same. There's actually joy in serving the Lord. There's a personal benefit that we receive. He's, he's described this as Christian hedonism. Uh, hedonism, you know, is uh, a word that describes someone who's living for pleasure. Uh, they're living for their, their own pleasure. And Piper says, really, what we ought to be is Christian hedonists. That is, we should live for our pleasure, but we need to understand that our pleasure, our joy, our benefit is actually found in bringing glory to God. So we ought to be Christian hedonists. Far from being wrong to seek our own joy, the, the reality is that God has created you in a way that, 
that God is glorified in us when we find joy, but, but when we find our joy in him. We've been created uh, to be in a relationship with God and to serve God. And when we do that, that's where we find our true purpose. That's where we find joy. We find this in passages like Psalm 1611. You, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So my joy and, and pleasure that I experience is not somehow separated from God over here in this other place and God's over here. And well, I guess I should serve God, but because that's no, no, no. What that passage is saying is your joy and your pleasure is actually found at God's right hand in serving the Lord and being obedient. You find joy. There is benefit there. Now let's apply this principle to, to money because this principle is true in, in, in matters of all kinds of obedience. All obedience, all, all seeking after the Lord, there's joy and there's pleasure. But let's, let's apply this because we're talking specifically about giving. And so this is the way that we think, right? We think I've got this money and, and I could do that remodel so my house looks like HGTV. I could buy that new car or that new gun or that new boat. I could go on that vacation I could do all of these things over here, and that would, be, that would be what really brings me joy. That's where pleasure would be found. That's where I would be satisfied. But God's over here, and Brother Andrew's preaching about the fact that we're supposed to be giving and we're supposed to be generous to those who are in need. So I guess I, I really ought to give. But what I'm going to be doing is really forfeiting my joy. I'm forfeiting pleasure so that I can be obedient. Do you see how we, we falsely divide those two things? What I want you to see this morning is this text that we're looking at actually brings those together and it says, no, 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 you've got a misunderstanding about this whole thing. You think joy and pleasure is over here, but actually joy and pleasure is over here. If you will obey, if you will give, if you will be generous, you will find joy and pleasure that is far greater than anything that you would find over there. So, so you don't have to obey or find joy. You can obey and find joy in that obedience. I, I believe that's what this passage is calling us to this morning. For far too many of us as, as Christians, we've been setting the equation up all wrong. You know what an equation is? Uh, it's, it's a mathematical expression. So we've been setting it up like this. Following the Lord equals the right thing minus joy. Following the world equals the wrong thing plus joy. So I, I do the wrong thing. It's disobedient, but that's where I find joy. If I follow the Lord, it's the right thing, but it's minus joy. I, I don't have joy. And what I'm saying here is that we need to set it up the right way. Following the Lord equals the right, right thing plus greater joy than you've ever known. Following the world equals the wrong thing, plus temporary pleasure, plus eternal misery. And so I think that's what this passage is teaching us this morning. So let's look at it, and I think, it, I think what it's calling us to do is this. It's calling us to pursue treasure. This text is calling you to pursue treasure. It's, saying, it's not saying don't pursue treasure. Notice it's saying pursue treasure, but pursue the right kind of treasure. Let's let's look at it again in case you missed it. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. That's where maybe many of us end. We say, well, we, don't, we shouldn't live for possessions because the, there's moth and rust and thieves break through and steal. And so listen, don't live for the things in this world. Don't come don't don't compile a lot of 
physical uh, uh, goods, uh, a lot of material goods, a lot of money. Don't store it up on, on this earth. And that's kind of where we end. And we end with the mindset, don't store it up because God doesn't want you to have joy. You know, those things would bring delight. They would bring pleasure, but God doesn't want that for you. So just don't, don't pursue treasure in your life. Don't seek for things that would bring joy into your life that would make you happy. Don't do that because God doesn't want you to be happy, right? And we kind of end with that. We don't say those things, you're right, but, but that's kind of, I feel like the way, the spirit that we take away from this text. But there, there's not only a negative command in there, is there? There's actually a positive command. And the com- positive command is this, lay up treasure. Did you know you, you are supposed to be laying up treasure? You are supposed to be seeking your things that are for your benefit? That's what Jesus says here, isn't it? He says, don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth because here moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But this is what you are to do. Lay up for yourselves, lay up for yourselves Treasure, seek your good, seek things that are going to benefit you. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he's not just saying this isn't a matter of seek treasure versus don't seek treasure. This is seek treasure, but but seek the right kind of treasure. Seek things that are going to be for your good, but, but not just for your good until they rust out or, or until somebody takes them uh, or, or, or until moth eats them up. Moth eats, moths eat them up. Let me say that right. Uh, don't, don't seek for temporary treasure. Instead, you need to seek and lay up treasures that will be eternal, that will be to your benefit for all of eternity. You see, the battle here is not joy versus no joy. The battle here is a fleeting little pleasure that lasts that long and is gone versus an eternal pleasure that that will last throughout all of eternity and will be far greater than any of the joy that you had here on this earth. Do you see the, the difference? We think about the fact that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. I quote that very, very often. How can you be a cheerful giver? Well, I think if you understand what this text is teaching us, I think you can be very easily a cheerful giver because you understand I, I, I'm not losing out on anything. I'm, I'm not giving up. I said last week, if we feel like that these material things, that our money and our possessions is, is the source of our joy, we're going to be very stingy givers if we give at all because we're, people are not inclined to give up their joy. People are not inclined to give up the things that they think their life consists of. But if we understand that, that in giving these things away, we're, we're actually procuring for ourselves a far greater joy, joy, a far greater treasure, then we will be able to cheerfully give. I'm not losing out on this. I'm winning, and, and I'm winning big time, as we will see. Now, some of you are looking, at, and you're, I think you're having a hard time because You've been so ingrained with the mindset that I'm supposed to do everything selflessly. I'm not supposed to have any self-interest or I'm not to be, I'm not to be concerned for, for what I get out of it at, at all. And so you're having a hard time with this. But what I want to take a few minutes to do is show you that this is not me just taking one text and kind of misconstruing it and pulling it out of the way. What I want to show you is that every major theme of Jesus' teaching 
the, the things that he calls us to obey, every last one of them is encouraged by the promise of reward. You want to see that? First of all, let's just look at this very, very text here uh, in, in Matthew chapter 6. If we back up and you look at, at verses 16 to 18, what about fasting? When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may, be, may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. See, you, you don't want anything out of it, right? But notice that's not what he says in the end. He says, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So he's not saying reward versus no reward fast so that no one can see you and and you don't get anything out of it he's saying look trust god to reward you don't try to don't don't try to configure this thing so that you get the praise of men because if that's what you're doing you've got your reward that is your reward instead do it in such a way that you trust god and god will reward you so it's not to it's not to say that you shouldn't seek reward but that you should allow God to reward you in the right time and at the right place. Praying as well. We, we see this. And when you pray in verse 5, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room so you don't ever get any reward. No. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So trust God to reward you. And how about actually, even more specifically to, to what we're dealing with, what about giving? In verse number one, beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order that it may be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that you will never have a reward. No, no, so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret, he will reward you. There's reward in giving. There's reward in praying. There's reward in fasting. You're just not to seek that reward. You don't try to make that reward happen. Instead, in faith, you wait for God to reward you. So there's reward. What about self-denial? You've heard me preach often from the words of Christ, how he demands that, that he be in first place, that, that we lay aside everything else, we, we crucify ourselves, we take up our cross daily, we put God ahead of family, ahead of money, we put Christ ahead of all of those things, and, and we deny ourselves and take up the cross and follow him. Look at Matthew 16, 24. Why do we do that? Or what could be a motivation for that? Well, reward is. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But notice here, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There's something to be found. There's benefit to you. If you will deny yourself, if you will give up your life, you're not sacrificing it for nothing. No, no, you'll be rewarded. If you lose your life for the sake of Christ, you will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? 
Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is coming with his angels in the glory of his fathers, and then he will repay each according to what he has done. He will repay each according to what he has done. You see, so it's not just endless self-denial. That's not the message of Jesus. It's not eternal self-denial. No, no, it's self-denial now and repayment later. It's denying these material goods now, putting everything second to Christ now in order that you may have something in the future. He will bless you. He will reward you when he returns. We see this in Luke 18 as well. You remember the, uh, we mentioned the, the, the rich young ruler last week. And, and Jesus said, look, you've got to go sell all that you have and come follow me. And he went away sad because it says he was very rich. And he, he, he had a hard time giving those things up. Jesus was saying, this is what's required for you to be my follower. And he couldn't do it because he was too attached to his material goods. But notice that there's something I think we missed there. In Matthew 25, 21, he said to his master, well done, or, or Luke 18, I'm sorry, Luke 18, 22. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. There it is. There's that. I think we just, well, this is what I said earlier. We're so ingrained with this idea of selflessness totally disinterested. I don't want anything good for myself. I'm not doing this for myself at all. There's no benefit to me. We're so ingrained with that mindset that we read passages like this and we don't even recognize that Jesus said, sell all that you have because in doing that, you'll gain treasure in heaven, something far greater than, than what you have here. We see this all over. Using your talents, the parable of, of the talents is, is the same thing. His master said to him, this is at the, after he kind of distributes everything and, and he see, the master sees how they've used the talents that he's given to them. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. There's reward. You've, I've given you this little bit here and you were faithful with it. Now I'm going to give you much. And, and you enter into the presence and the joy of your master. So there's, there's those two things. The, 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 the reward is exponentially greater than what was given up, number one. And second, there's a joy that's far greater, the joy of your master, uh, than, than the joy that would have been there temporarily. How about enduring persecution? Enduring persecution. We know when we follow Christ, we will enter into suffering. And this is what Jesus said. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. So why do we endure persecution? Why do we endure suffering for the name of Christ? Because we've got our eyes fixed on this future reward that is coming. Now, I'm not saying this is the only motivation and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But what I want you to see, this is a legitimate motivation. All right? Helping the poor. Loving your enemies. Helping the, the saints of God. I think you're getting the point. You would see those in Luke 14, 13, and Luke 6, 35, and Matthew 10, 40 to 42. You'd see in each of those instances, he commands something, and, and then he encourages obedience to it by a promise of reward so so do you think jesus is okay with you being motivated by 
reward. More than that, do you think that Jesus actually wants you to be motivated by a desire for reward? I think it's safe to say that all the major themes of Jesus' teaching regarding the way we should live are encouraged by the promise of reward. And this is certainly true of giving. It's true in our text. Don't lay up treasures on this earth. Don't seek a temporary fleeting pleasure. Instead, lay up treasures on heaven, in heaven. Now, let me say this. There is an abuse of this teaching. There is an abuse of this teaching. For one thing, gifts, sort of a, a eternal material, uh, materialism. That is, if we were to sort of separate a relationship with God and we were just thinking about the things that God can give us, and so we're sort of doing this separated from any kind of loving relationship with our Heavenly Father, and we just think, this is my only motivation. I'm going to do what God says because I'm going to get a bunch of stuff in, in heaven. That, that would be not uh, what this is, is saying because that cuts the reward off from the reward giver. In, in heaven, it's not just about the things that God gives us. The things that he gives us are actually an expression of his love to us. And so if we love the things that, that he gives us, it ought to be a sign that we love the one who gives them. You can imagine a, a husband who has great wealth and, and he gives his wife all these lavish gifts, but the, the, the wife doesn't love the husband at all. She hates his gut. She can't stand him, but she stays married to him because he's rich and she gives him all this stuff. He's got, she's got access to all this money because of him, right? That's not why my wife is clearly in, into it, but, uh, but that could be a conceivable situation, right? And uh, there's a problem to that, right? The, 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 the relationship should be a relationship of, of love. You could imagine the same kind of scenario where there's a, a, a husband who's very wealthy and gives his wife extravagant gifts. But in this scenario, those, those gifts are a sign of his love. He, he has deep, abiding devotion for his wife and his wife loves her husband. And it's not about the gifts, but she still delights in the gifts. And she delights in the gifts because she delights in the one who gives them. And that's the way that we are to be with God. If we cut these gifts off, these rewards off from a loving relationship with God, then we've mixed things up. But what we need to understand is the reason that God gives these rewards, the reason that Christ promises these rewards to us is because he loves us. They're an expression of his love to you. And if you love him, you receive them as such. The other thing that we could potentially, the other danger that we could get into uh, is, is if we fail to have a true concern for others. So I'm only doing this so that I can get a reward, but I have no care for those who are in need. No, our giving ought to be motivated for other things. It ought to be motivated out of a love for God, but it also ought to be motivated for a love of others. We care for them. We genuinely want to meet their spiritual and physical needs, and so we give because of that. But, but those things being in place, recognizing those things, we can also say that we ought to give because we will be rewarded for our giving. Now let's consider why this is not a, a bad motive to seek reward. It's not a bad motive because our benefit actually coincides with, with the good of others. You see, typically when people are seeking their own good in this world, it's somebody like a CEO, you know, and he's, he's, dipping the money, he's, he's skimming the money away from the retirement funds of, of his employees and of his workers. He's getting 
fat while they're getting ripped off, right? And so typically, uh, when, when we're trying to work for our own good in this world, it's to the exclusion of, of others, right? But that's not what's happening here. When we're working for reward, when we're giving, when we're helping, when we're ministering, uh, w- w- our, our benefit, our reward coincides with the fact that they benefit as well. We're helping those who are in need. We're caring for them. We're, we're providing. And so there, there's no, uh, they're not at odds. Let me say it that way. And then secondly, this is not a bad motive because we need to understand that God loves his people and this is, his, is, is an expression of his love for you. And so it would be wrong not to delight in it, right? If God says, hey, I love you, and if you will obey me, I, I'll reward you. I'll, I'll reward you far greater. Even if you just give a cup of cold water to somebody in my name, you will have a reward for that. And, and we don't delight in that. That's, that's problematic. God has given it to us as an expression of his love. And so we ought to seek it. We ought to, we ought to delight in the fact that he rewards us. Now let's consider why does God work in this way? Why does God tell us not to seek treasure here or in the case of uh, you know, practicing righteousness, not, not to seek to get praise here? Why is, it, why is it that he wants us to wait till later? Why, why is it, hey, suffer now, give now, be selfless now, and later you'll receive reward? Why, why is that? Well, I think the answer is very clear and, and plain. That The answer is this, is because it's an expression of faith. You see, if, I, if I'm trying to construe things so that you all see me praying, you know, you walk in and you see, man, our pastor, he's such a prayer, right? That's the reason I'm doing that is because I feel like the only benefit I'm getting out of it, the only thing that that's good for is if you all have a better reputation about me. You have a better idea about me in your mind. That's, that's the only benefit I get out of it. But if I pray in secret or if I give in secret, what am I doing? I'm trusting that God really will bless me. I'm trusting that God really will provide for me, that God really will reward that. When when I'm living for treasures here or when I'm trying trying to build up my reputation here by doing good so that it can be seen by others, I'm, I'm trying to get the end myself because I don't trust God to provide for me. You see, in the end, it's not a matter of getting reward versus not getting reward, but trying to secure your own reward versus trusting God to give you reward. This is why in the book of Hebrews, it says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. There are people all over this world who give, right? Companies right now are tripping over themselves trying to give give money away. But why are they doing it? Are they doing it in faith? No, they're doing it because it's PR, right? It makes them look, hey, when you come to our company, we ask if you want to support the Boys and Girls Club or we give such and such amount of of everything we bring into this. Why do they do that? Because they are selfless, because they love these people, because they love God and they have faith that God will reward them? No, no, they're giving it in a public manner that, that it would be seen so that you'll come and shop at their places, Right? And you're like, man, what a good company. I want to be part. Right? It's PR. And, and we got to be careful that that's not our motivation. When we give in secret, we do it with faith, trusting that God really will reward us. And so I think that's why God does it in this manner. Now consider this, that the reward is comparable to what is given. 
the reward is comparable to what is given. In this text, it says don't lay up treasures on this earth, but lay up treasures in heaven. You see, there's a comparison. Now, I, I, I don't think that he's talking about literal gold and silver in heaven, but, but there's some kind of comparison. It's, it's something similar to what we would understand to be treasure in this life is what we will receive in the life to come. There's, there's a comparison. In the book of Luke, he compares unrighteous wealth versus true riches. There, there's a comparison. There's probably some differences, but, but there's a comparableness to them. Helping the poor that we mentioned earlier in, in the book of Luke, it says to those who cannot pay, it's going to be repaid to us. So when you give to the poor, you give money to them, you provide for them, the reward will be similar. It will be comparable. You'll be repaid on the judgment day. Leaving earthly things behind is also said to be repaid. If we leave houses and lands and fathers and mothers, that will be repaid to us many times more, the book of Luke says. Luke 18, 18. The parable of the talents. It, it says that these stewards used their talents and that, that the Lord, when he returned, he set them over so many cities. To one, he set him over, gave him authority over five cities. To another, he said, you will be set over ten cities. So that's comparable to the, to the, to the way that, that we think. In first or Second Timothy 2, 12, Paul says that if we suffer with Christ, we will reign with him. So there's an authority, there's, there's power. What, what I'm just trying to get at is sometimes we think about heaven and we think about floating around on clouds and playing a harp and a diaper. Maybe you don't think about all that, right? Uh, but, but we think about heaven kind of like that and we're like, well, what's this reward thing? What's that all about? No, no, it's going to be a new heavens and a new earth and there are going to be cities there. There's going to be a, a, a new earth and we're going to dwell on that earth and we're... We're, we're, we're going to do things in this new heavens and new earth, and there's going to be authority that, are, that is given to certain people. Some of you might be presidents in, in the age to come, and kings, and some of you might be mayors and governors, and, and, and some of you might not be very much, right? But, but there, there will be a, a disparity there, right? There, there are going to be differences, and those differences are going to be connected to what we've given in the ways that we have served. That's what that parable of the talents is teaching. You've been given little, you've been faithful with that little, and now I'll, I'll give you more. This person was given 10 talents, and so now they were faithful with that. They're going to be given more as well. It's a comparable, uh, the reward is comparable to what is given. And I've already kind of gotten onto this, but consider the, the reward is also proportional to what is given and what is done. Some of you, I think, uh, think about heaven as if it's a, a place of communism, right? Everyone's completely equal in heaven and, and everything that we have will be shared equally, 100%. There will be no distinctions and no differences in heaven. Now, let me tell you, if, if communism doesn't work on this earth, it's not gonna work in heaven either. That's not the way it's gonna be. That's not what Jesus teaches in the Bible. It's, it's not complete equality in heaven. Let me say this, heaven will be an absolutely wonderful, amazing place for every child of God who, who is in heaven. There, there will be nothing to complain about. There will be nothing bad in heaven. So I don't wanna give you some idea that your experience in heaven will be, will, will be bad. But what I'm saying is this, uh, there's a proportionality to the way that we give, the way that we serve, the things that we do for the Lord. There's a proportionality to what we do here 
and our reward in heaven, your reward can be either greater or lesser determined by what you do here and now. That's what we're seeing in this text. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't lay up treasure here. Instead, you can send your treasure on ahead. If you give faithfully and you give generously, there will be more treasure in heaven. And if you give, if you give sparingly, your treasure will be lesser in heaven. That's what we see in the parable of the talents as well. Those who were faithful over little were, were, were given much, uh, but it was in proportion to what was done here on earth. You can increase your reward or you can lose out on potential reward by the way that you serve here. Then consider that this reward in heaven is vastly superior to what is given. It's vastly superior. First of all, we see it's eternal. It doesn't corrupt. Here on earth, you buy things and what happens? In no time, they're corrupt. You buy a new phone. Man, this is awesome. Look how fast this is. You're just touching it. Boom. And then in like a couple months, you're like, I got to charge my phone again, right? And you, you buy a computer and it, and it gets a virus. And you buy cars and they break down and they rust. And you buy clothes and they get out of style and they wear out. You buy houses and they, 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 they decline, right? Everything in this, this world is, is going down. But the treasure in heaven is not that way. The, the reward that Christ will give us on that day, on judgment day, for our faithful work, for our, for our generosity, is a treasure that will be eternal. It will not wear out. It does not corrupt. It is also a secure treasure. On this, in this life, people are always, always angling, trying to get what you have, right? And some people do that in a very dishonor, dishonest way. But in heaven, there will be no thieves that will break in and steal. Your, your reward that you have, that you receive, will be eternally secure. It will, will not be taken from you. And it is also greater, it's vastly superior because it is multiplied. Again, in Luke, he, he, he talks about using uh, unrighteous wealth and the fact that we'll be given true riches. And in another place in the book of Luke, he says we'll be repaid a hundredfold. Here he talks about treasures in heaven. And then the idea of little and much in, in the other parable. Jesus said even giving a cup of cold water in the name of Christ will be remembered. And, and the people, remember that parable that Jesus says on, on the judgment day? The people are like, Lord, when did we do that? I don't, I don't remember. He says, in that you've done it to the least of these, my brothers, you've done it to me. People are going to be surprised by the things that are, are rewarded. If you do it in the name of the Lord and you do it for the sake of Christ, you will be rewarded. And, and you think something, I would be rewarded for giving a cup of cold water in the name of Christ? yes. Something so insignificant will be memorialized eternally. It will be remembered. It will be rewarded throughout eternity. You, you see the disparity here? You see how small this act is and how great the reward is? It's exponentially greater. Just think about this. Imagine that you had... I think what we're, we're seeing here, let me back up and just say this. I think what we're seeing here is that if we're wise, we should see this life as sort of an opportunity to invest in the future. That's what Jesus is saying here, right? Lay up treasures in heaven. That's the command. Lay up treasures. 
Work for, work for your benefit, work for the glory of God, work for the good of others, but that also happens to coincide with the fact that you can lay up treasures for yourself as well. There's a benefit to you. And what that means is that we ought to see this time that we're living in as a time of opportunity in, in, in which we can better our eternal status, in, in which we can lay up treasures for all of eternity. And many of us don't live with that perspective. We're still living with God doesn't really want me to, you know, have a lot of joy or benefit myself. And so, look, if I give, that's what God wants me to do. But it kind of robs me of joy and pleasure. And Jesus is saying, no, no, you need to understand this. You need to understand when you give or when you serve or when you're faithful to the Lord, that will be eternally rewarded. And so you ought to work for that. You ought to use this as a time of opportunity. You have you have time and money that you can invest right now. And if you're wise with that investment, you will be rewarded for all of eternity. So be wise. So just imagine that you could go back, you know, 50 or 60 years, knowing what you know now, and and say that you had the opportunity to, to invest in Apple computer way back here, right? The wise thing would be to invest in that, right? Because you know what's you know what's coming. Or you go back even further in Sony. And if you were to invest in Sony way back in the 50s or 60s or whenever that kind of got off the ground, you'd be a millionaire now, right? And that's what Jesus is saying. You need to understand you have an opportunity right now to invest in things that will be that will pay sort of an eternal dividend. They will reward you throughout all eternity. So be wise. What will your car be worth in 12 years? Or the clothes that you're buying or the gadgets that you're buying, what what will they be worth in 20 or 30 years? And then think about the opportunity that you have to invest those same things in something that will reward you throughout all eternity. That's That's what Jesus is saying. Your gift to the needy or your support of the work of God now will be rewarded for all eternity. So don't be a bad investor. Don't don't be somebody who's stockpiling treasure on this earth because it's going to be gone. People, it's going to be gone in no time. Do you understand that? Even in your lifetime, it'll flee away. But your lifetime is a very short time. It's all going to be gone. Don't invest it here. Use it as much as possible to invest it in the kingdom of God, to invest it in the needy, in the poor, in missionaries, in the work of God. Invest it in the kingdom of God because when you do that, you will be rewarded for all eternity. There's one final thing that we need to see from this passage, and that is this. Your heart will follow your treasure. Your heart will follow your treasure. Back in Matthew Chapter 6, the very last verse, he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I think when a lot of Christians read that verse, I think we read it backwards. We say, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. And we think, well, where you, if you give, you know, that's a sign that your heart's there. No, no, no. that's not what it says, is it? It doesn't say that, that your treasure follows your heart. It says the other way around. Your heart follows your treasure. So if you're treasuring, if you're putting all, stockpiling all of your treasure on this earth, that's where your heart's going to be. If I put a million dollars in one of the Sunday school rooms right right back there, where's my mind going to be right now as I'm talking to you? 
and somebody gets up and they're heading out, I'm going to be like, whoa, what, did, they go, did you see did they go in that room? Like my heart's going to be there. That's, that's where my focus, that's where my attention's going to be because that's where that treasure is. And I want to make sure nothing happens to that treasure. And if your treasure is here on this earth and it's in cars and houses and clothes and gadgets and yada, 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 it's in all of the things of this earth, that's where your treasure is going to be. You're not going to be thinking about Christ. You're not going to be thinking about eternity. You're not going to be thinking about the lost in other countries. You're not going to be thinking about the needy and the poor in our own community and around the world. You're not going to be thinking about those things because that's not where your treasure is. Your treasure is is in all your stuff and that's where your heart is going to be and that's where many of you are. Your focus is on all your stuff because that's what Jesus said is inevitably going to happen. And so what this is calling us to do is let's, let's stop investing in all this junk around us. Let's stop investing in all this stuff that's corrupting and is fading away and is going to be gone. Thieves are going to steal it. Rust and moth are going to destroy it. Let's stop investing in that because it's all just going to fade away anyway. Let's start investing in the things that matter for all of eternity. And when you do that, you'll start to have more of a heart for Christ. You'll have more of a heart for the lost. You'll have more of a heart for, for, for the poor and those who are in need. You'll have more of a heart for missionaries and the work of God's kingdom. You will have more of a heart for those things when you begin to put your financial resources in them. Your, your treasure will follow or your heart will follow your treasure. I almost said it back backwards after all that. And so we need to invest in the kingdom of God. We need to invest in the things where we want our heart to be. And, and it's an unmistakable principle. You can't love the Lord. Isn't that the problem? Wasn't that the problem with the rich young ruler? Jesus said, come and follow me. Go sell all of your stuff. Why didn't he follow Jesus? Because he had already given his heart to his treasure. He had already given his heart to his treasure. He couldn't give his heart to Christ. He couldn't follow Christ because his heart was set on his treasure. And Jesus saying, look, look, I, I need to have your heart. So you need to get rid of all that stuff and come and follow me. Give me your heart. Follow me. But the problem was he couldn't do that because your heart follows your treasure. And that's where many of you might be this morning. Let me just remind you that if your heart is set on treasure, uh, on treasure in this earth, that these things are going to let you down. They will let you down. You will be crushed at some point, either, either in your lifetime or when death comes and knocks on your door and these things begin to fade away and you lose your grip on them, your heart will be broken because that's where your heart has been. But if you give your heart to Christ and, and you become a generous person, you, you're laying up treasure for all of eternity and it will not disappoint. It's certain and sure. John said in 1 John 2, 15, do not love the world. Don't treasure things on this earth or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's, that's the same thing Jesus is teaching here. You can't have both. You can't love God and the things of this world. You can't treasure heaven and eternity and Christ and treasure things on this earth. But then he says this, and the world is passing away along with its desires but whoever does the will of God abides forever. If you set your heart on the things of this world, they will pass away. And listen, you will pass away with them. If you have kept those things, if those things have kept you from giving your heart to Christ, you will pass away with them. Let me encourage you to give your heart to Christ this morning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this 
morning. And we, we thank you for your grace and your kindness that you give to us in Christ. God, the, the grace that we see even this morning to, to open our eyes to our, our blindness. Lord, I, I truly believe that, that our church and our culture and, and the United States of America is blinded by the sin of materialism. We have set our hearts so intently on material goods in this life that we are, we are many of us, blinded to what it really means to follow Christ. We're, we're hindered from doing any eternal good because we're so, we're so latched on to our treasure. And we ought to know that because your word tells us that's the way that it is. Our heart always follows our treasure. God, I pray that you would help us to treasure Christ Help us to treasure things of eternal significance more than we treasure this world. Bring conviction of sin this morning, Spirit, I pray, and grant us repentance. In Christ's name I ask it, amen.